Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we celebrate the holiday of Purim and look at the history of the Jews of Persia, then and now. Let's get started. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, sat and wept, as we thought of Zion. There on the poplars we hung up our lyres, for our captors asked us there for songs, our tormentors for amusement. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing a song to the Lord on alien soil? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue stick to my palate if I cease to think of you. If I do not keep Jerusalem in my memory even at my happiest hour. These are the words of Psalms 137. The words of the Jewish people who had just been taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. The Jewish people who lived in Judah, many with views of the ancient temple standing in Jerusalem, have been forced to leave their homes and be exiled into a land that was not their own. This happened around the year 605 before the Common Era, when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah, destroyed the temple, and took many of the Jewish religious and leadership elite into captivity in Babylon. These Jews joined what was believed to be an even older Jewish community in Babylon, one created by the Babylonians taking captives and slaves into their land. The Judean people begrudgingly made themselves a home away from home while keeping their traditions and culture. As the psalmist said, the Judeans always kept their true homeland, Jerusalem, and the temple in their mind, with a hope that they will one day return. Babylon was soon overtaken by the Persian Empire under the leader Cyrus the Great, Almost overnight in the year 539 before the Common Era, the Jewish people in Babylon living under captivity under the Babylonians became subjects of the Persian Empire. There are some scholars who disagree on the extent of the policies of Cyrus towards the Jewish people, if they were formal and overt or more informal and unspoken. According to the biblical story, some scholars in the Cyrus Cylinder that was found the leader of the Persian Empire installed a policy allowing former Babylonian captives to return to their place of birth and even going as far to support them rebuilding their local cultural religious shrines. This included for the Jews the ability to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. Whether it was a mass exodus of Jewish people leaving Persia for their home in Judea or a small trickle year over year, the evidence is clear that tens of thousands of Jewish people headed back to their homeland However, there were many Jewish people who, for many reasons, decided to stay in the Persian Empire. One of these possible reasons could have been due to the difficulties of uprooting your life in Babylon, somewhere you've been for over 70 years. What we do know is, the Babylonian or Persian Jewish community in what is now known as Iran have been one of the oldest continuous Jewish communities outside of Israel. This is the setting of the story of Purim. These Jewish people who stayed in Persia under Cyrus the Great who continued their lives in the city known as Shushan. Although time passes and Cyrus the Great is followed by his successor, Darius. Darius himself was also supportive of his predecessor's policies towards the Jews and facilitated the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. The book of Esther from the Hebrew Bible, in the section of writings, picks up after Darius passes away and there's a new leader. This new leader is known in Hebrew as Ahasuerus, also known by his Persian name, King Ahasarius which has been generally identified by scholars as Xerxes the Great, the son of Darius the Great, who ruled in the 6th century BCE. Three years after King Azarius ascended to the Persian throne, when he felt secure in his new position, he celebrated by throwing a grand 180-day party for his subjects. Following this extravagant gala, the king hosted a smaller week-long party for the residents of the capital city, Shushan. 
As the story goes, the king's wife refused to come out and dance for the guests, something that angered the king, so he had her removed from his court. Eventually, his servants suggested that he orchestrate a beauty pageant in order to find a new queen. Officers would be appointed in all of the king's lands that all of the most beautiful women should be brought to the king, and the woman who would find favor in the king's eyes would be the new queen. The leader of the Jews at the time, a man named Mordechai, had a cousin named Esther. His cousin was orphaned as a young girl, and Mordechai raised her and treated her like a daughter. Though she had no desire to be the queen, Esther was forcibly taken by the king's harem to participate in the contest. While all of the other contestants beautified themselves with perfumes and lotions, Esther did nothing. But as the story goes, God had his own plan. When Esther appeared before the king, he immediately liked her, and Esther became the new queen of Persia. But as per Mordechai's directive, Esther refused to divulge her nationality to the king. She hid the fact that she was from a Jewish family. Shortly after Esther became queen, Mordechai overheard two of the king's chamberlains discussing a plot to assassinate the king. Mordechai had them reported, and the traitors were hanged. Meanwhile, at the same time, Haman, one of the king's ministers, was promoted to the position of prime minister. Haman was a virulent Jew-hater. In fact, some Jewish traditions have him being a descendant of the notoriously anti-Semitic nation of Amalek. Immediately after the promotion of Haman, the king issued a decree ordering that everyone must bow down whenever Haman appeared. Haman would walk around the city with large idols hanging from a chain around his neck. When Mordechai, a proud Jew, refused to bow down to Haman, he was infuriated. He resolved to take revenge against all of the Jews and threw lots to determine the lucky day which he would implement his plan to murder the Jews. The lot fell on the 13th day of the Hebrew month of Adar. Haman approached the king and offered him 10,000 silver talons in exchange for permission to exterminate the Jewish community. The king, who was no friend to the Jews either, told Haman, The money is yours to keep, and the nation is yours to do as you please. Haman immediately sent proclamation to all of the king's lands. These declarations sealed with the royal signet ring and ordered the people to rise up against the Jews and kill them all, men, women, and children, on the following 13th of Adar. Mordechai became aware of the decree. He rents his garments and dons sackcloth, a typical sign of someone who is in mourning. He sent a message to Esther asking her to approach the king and beg him to spare her people. Queen Esther responded that according to the rules, anybody who enters the king's presence unsummoned would be put to death unless the king extended to that person the golden scepter. Esther had not been summoned by the king and feared for her life. Esther eventually agrees to approach the king, but she asked Mordechai to gather all the Jews in Shushan and let them all fast for three days and nights. And after this, Esther would put her life in her hands and approach the king. Mordechai complied with Esther's request. He gathered the Jews of Shushan, especially the children, 22,000 of them, and they fasted and repented and prayed to God. After Mordechai and Esther set up the plan to try and inform the king about the attempted genocide of the Jews, the day came and Esther risked her life to enter the king's chamber without being summoned. Esther said to the king, If I have found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me by my plea, and the life of my people by my request. For my people and I have been sold to be annihilated, killed and destroyed. Esther then identified Haman as the evil person who wished to perpetrate the atrocity. This was the first time Esther had disclosed her background to the king, which was also a risk. She would have been unsure if the king, who agreed to allow Haman to commit genocide against the Jewish people, would have held similar anti-Semitic views and have her killed too. The king was greatly angered. When he was then informed that Haman had built gallows for Mordechai, 
he ordered that Haman be hanged in those very gallows himself. On that day, Haman's estate was given to Esther, and Mordechai was appointed the prime minister in Haman's stead. But Esther was far from satisfied. Haman was dead, but his evil decree was still in effect. According to Persian law, once the king issues a decree, it cannot be rescinded. But the king gave Mordechai and Esther permission, and they promptly wrote up a decree that went against Haman's edict. The decree granted the Jews permission to defend themselves against their enemies. On the 13th of Adar that year, the Jews throughout the Persian Empire mobilized and killed the enemies who wanted to kill them. In Shushan, among the dead were Haman's ten sons. Esther asked the king's permission for the Jews of Shushan to have one more day to destroy their enemies, and the king acceded to her wish. On that day, the 14th of Adar, the Jews worldwide celebrate, and the Jews of Shushan killed more of their enemies. The Jews of Shushan then rested and celebrated on the 15th of Adar. Various scholars argue the amount of historical accuracy to this story. Whether the story is based on actual events and people, or loosely based on events made into a dramatic novella, this story seems to have lasting impacts on various modern-day communities. The Jewish community celebrates Esther and Mordechai and their bravery to stand up and fight against anti-Semitism and a possible genocide. When we come back, we will look into the current ramifications of the Purim stories on the modern Middle East. We'll be right back on the Jewish Diaspora Report. In the last segment, we saw that the ancient Jewish community of Persia was threatened for genocide by one of its leaders, called it an act of God or an incredible bravery by some Jewish community members. The Jewish people were saved and those who aimed to harm them were punished. The situation between Persia or modern-day Iran and the Jews has not become more civil over the generations. Iran is most known for their hostile attitude and threats against the Jewish state. The Jewish community that survived a near genocide thanks to Esther, Mordechai, and maybe an act of God, has continued until today, although the numbers have severely dropped. Under the Sinassid dynasty from 226 to 642 CE, the Jewish population in Persia grew considerably and spread throughout the region. Nevertheless, Jews suffered intermittent oppression and persecution. The invasion by the Arab Muslims in 642 CE ended the independence of Persia and installed Islam as the state religion. This made a deep impact on the Jewish community by changing their socio-political status. Throughout the 19th century, Jews were persecuted and discriminated against. Sometimes whole communities were forced to convert. During the 19th century, there were considerable immigrations to the land of Israel, and the Zionist movement spread throughout the community. Under the Pahlavi dynasty, established in 1925, the country was secularized and oriented towards the West. This greatly benefited the Jews, who were emancipated and played an important role in the economy and cultural life. On the eve of the Islamic Revolution in 1979, 80,000 Jews lived in Iran. In the wake of the upheaval, tens of thousands of Jews, especially the wealthy, left the country, leaving behind vast amounts of money and property. After the Iranian Revolution in 1979, members of the Jewish community feared for their lives, afraid that they would be murdered or expelled by the new Iranian regime. Today, there are about 100 synagogues in Iran. 31 are in Tehran, 20 of them which are still active. Since 1994, there have been no rabbis in Iran, and the Beit Din, or Jewish Council, does not function. The city has two Jewish kindergartens and a 100-bed capacity at a Jewish hospital. The Islamization of the country brought about strict control over Jewish educational institutions. Before the revolution, there were some 20 Jewish schools functioning throughout the country. Most since then have closed. Five remain in Tehran. 
Jewish principals have been replaced by Muslims. In Tehran, there are three schools in which Jewish pupils constitute the majority. The curriculum is Islamic, and the Hebrew is forbidden as a language of instruction for Jewish studies. Special Hebrew lessons are conducted on Fridays by the Orthodox, which is responsible for Jewish religious education. Saturday is no longer officially recognized as the Jewish Sabbath, and Jewish pupils are compelled to attend school on that day. The tensions in the community stem, according to some, from the Purim story itself. In a 2021 Jerusalem Post article, it mentions a minister of parliament in Iran referring to the Purim story as a celebration by Jewish people of the, quote, brutal massacre of Iranian people. This isn't the first time that the Iranian politicians and public speakers have used the Purim story to call out the Jewish community and Israel for violent attack. The article even points out that the supposed resting place of Mordechai and Esther, a tomb outside of modern-day Shushan, has been threatened for destruction, set on fire, or damaged multiple times. The Purim story still has consequences in the Middle East today. As Jewish people celebrate the avoiding of genocide, some modern Iranians use it as a call to arms against the Jewish people and the state of Israel. In the end, the Purim story teaches us many very important lessons. Firstly, Esther and Mordechai's bravery to stand up to those who aim to harm the community is nothing short of heroic. We as modern-day Jewish communities need to stand up and protect one another from these threats that are against us and our communities while living in the diaspora. Secondly, the story teaches us that living outside of our own homeland will always come with some risk. We can become very comfortable in our diaspora homes thinking that the leadership and locals are on our side. But over time, we have to be aware of political changes and threats against us. A king who supports the Jews one day can quickly change to their successor supporting the annihilation of the entire population. We have seen this process repeat many times in many countries throughout Europe and the Middle East since the Middle Ages. The latest attempt wasn't even that long ago. We see the attempted genocide against the Jewish communities of Persia in the 6th century BCE to the attempted genocide against the Jewish communities of Germany and Europe in the 1940s. Sadly, we have seen the brazen calls by many in what we would consider the civilized world against the Jewish community. These could be found in Europe and the United States. What is most tragic about this story is a once beautiful and proud Jewish community of ancient Persia, filled with a unique Jewish culture, was once targeted for destruction but failed, only to see the modern-day community that has survived slowly be destroyed by the current form of oppressive government. If Haman was alive today, I'm sad to say that he'd probably be pretty proud of what has become of the once beautiful and thriving community of Jewish people in his country. As we celebrate the holiday of Purim and are thankful for the courage and bravery that saved our people in Persia, we need to take a lesson about trying to support and protect the modern Jewish communities of Iran who live under a government that is just as oppressive and just as anti-Semitic. We cannot ignore the Purim story because sadly, it repeats over and over again. We have to stand up and protect ourselves because like in the time of Haman, if we don't do it, no one else will. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast and check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time.